Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm Craig Fields. And I'm David Long. And you're listening to week 47 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Now, we've gone out of our way to see almost all of the films everywhere. Um, so <laughs> the listener doesn't have to. Yes, that's right. And we've got a great show lined up for you all today. Indeed, we have. Uh, <laughs> uh David, what are we reviewing today? The first film we're kicking off the show is The Trial of the Chicago 7 from Netflix. And let me tell you, this could be big. Keep listening to find out why. Uh, We're then transitioning over to the cinema for Kajillion Air. Uh, Director Miranda July brings us her third feature. And David will be going hand solo on this movie review today. Indeed, I will. We're then delving into a documentary called The Social Dilemma, directed by Jeff Orlowski. It's a Netflix original. And let me tell you, folks, there is plenty of meat on the bone. (laughs) (laughs) There sure is. Um, But next up will be The Lie. Uh, This is from Amazon Prime and is from the Welcome to Blumhouse series presented by Amazon Studios. And more on that later on. And finally, we're finishing the show with Adam Sandler's newest movie, Hubie Halloween. And uh, it could be an interesting one. It really, 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 really could be. Or it might not be. (laughs) But as always, there's the box office rundown and the news. Uh, David, how are you? Craig, I'm doing really well. I've recently recently uh, purchased a uh, a USB microphone, I believe it's called. Um, and I've, Craig's nodding and smiling. And I've also got uh, a secondhand MacBook. So I'm all set up for my Road to the Oscars series, which I'm really, really excited about bringing to all you guys. Um and yeah, it's a little bit strange. Me and Craig aren't actually together in the studio. We're 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 recording this. Um, how would you say isolated? What what would be the term? Um, separate. Separate. <laughs> <laughs> separate is the one. Uh, and we're just doing that for. We're not in a lockdown where we are, um, but we're just doing that to to stay safe and keep each other and our family safe. So, Craig, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, actually. Um, Charis and I went pumpkin picking on Sunday. And oh, wow. Did we Herbie's Farm. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it was amazing. Um, we picked a couple of pumpkins. Um, Charis made a pumpkin spiced loaf, uh, which is delicious. We've talked about it on the show before. Yes. Well, I, I believe Charis is supposed to be making me a pumpkin pie. I mean, she's not making it for you specifically. It was made <laughs> Maybe you'll get a slice out of it at some point. I, I would know. love a slice. Well, we've had we've had two. We've made two, and one's in the freezer at the minute. I've eaten unbelievable. I've devoured the other one. Um, and then we made we bought we had two pumpkins and we carved them. I did um, a nightmare before Christmas one. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, and yeah, otherwise all good. 
I was going to, are you a Halloween person, Craig? I mean, we've got American listeners and obviously Halloween's a lot bigger over there. And we'll be talking about that in one of our reviews, but are you a Halloween kind of guy? Uh, no, um, no. <laughs> but, uh, never, I'd never really done a, a pumpkin before. So I thought, Hey, let's give that a go. I've got to say they were fantastic. Are they on your Instagram or Twitter? Can people, can people see these? Well, actually, no, um, I'm taking a, uh, well, I'm, I'm leaving social media, so to speak. I'm no longer having it on my mobile telephonic communication device um, and uh, not really using it for any other purpose other than the podcast. Um, and I'll be using it on my laptop only. So I'm, I'm taking a step back from social media. I, th- I think that's a great opportunity to move on to the box office rundown because we will explain later in the show why Mr. Fields has made this decision. Um, <laughs> so for now, it's it, no, it's really interesting. It links in with a documentary that we're reviewing. So for now, let's kick off the show with the box office rundown. This is the box office rundown. Brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. Yes, that is right. It is indeed the box office rundown. And this is looking at the weekend of the 17th to the 18th uh, or the 16th to the 18th, because we conclude Fridays in that usually. Um, and uh, we're going to start off at our usual place, which is uh, number 10. David, you're going to do that? Yeah. So at number 10, we have Kajillion Air. Uh, I will be going hand solo uh, reviewing this film on um, this week's episode. Uh, it took £44,275 at the weekend. Gets it in at number 10 at the box office. Um, I actually went to see this at View Cinemas. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in my review. Um, but it's in at number 10. Is it worth it? Well, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. Craig, in at- number nine. Oh, sorry. In at number nine, we have Onward. Uh, that grossed another £46,992 to add to its whopping uh, uh, grand total, which I actually don't have up on the screen, Which because you know what? I don't care either. Um, <laughs> I, I, I only care about these uh, weekend grosses at the minute. Why? Because, well, cinemas are closing, um, and I'm just interested in that figure to see just how much they're actually raking in, and we can compare that and contrast it next week, because I think there's too many figures going on. Um, if we if we say everything weekend gross total gross i think people will get bogged down on that yeah um, fair enough and i would prefer i would prefer just to stick to that and uh, anyway david number 8 please in at number 8 we have bill and ted face the music um me and craig reviewed this uh, on last week's episode and all i would say was i think both of us said it was worth it but in a really sort of uh, there's an element of nostalgia and being sort of sentimental about the first films, but it, it is worth it. And it's worth going to the cinema to see, get out and get to these cinemas, these local picture houses, view Odeon, wherever it might be. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Um, in at number seven, we have the Elfkins. Um, this is a German kids film. Um, I found out um, it is playing at various cinemas, um, but I'm still working on getting to the cinema. I need to find some <laughs> to time. See Elfkins. It's a bit difficult. It'd be interesting yeah. to see what it's like. Um, yeah, I tell you what, if you've got a bit of spare time, David, do you mind going to see it? I, I'm. Uh, well, we'll think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Whose turn is it? I've lost track. It's me, isn't it? And at number six, uh, we have On the Rocks. Um, 
I can't tell you too much about this film other than there has been some Oscar talk, a little bit of best picture buzz. Um, you'll hear more about that on road to the Oscars, but on the rocks comes in at number six, a uh, weekend gross of 75,743 pounds. So people are going to see this film. I will do some more research and give you some more information it's, it, on next week's box. It's a big film. Rundown. It's a big film. Um, it's directed by Sophia, Sophia Coppola. Capolo. I can never say Capola. a name, which is really, really, yeah. I'm Capolo. Uh, Cap- I can't say certain, I can't say names as we've established on this show, which is really tragic, really, since um, I am supposed to be a presenter on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I should be able to say people's surnames, um, even the most basic of pronunciations. I can't. I can't do. But it's got a big cast. It's got Bill Murray in it. Um, Rashida Jones as well. It's it's a huge film. Um, Oscar buzz as well. Yeah, um, definitely. And uh, it is playing, I know, at my local cinema, uh, the Odyssey Cinema. Um, it is actually playing, uh, I think it's actually t- tomorrow at 12.30. Um, tomorrow being Wednesday, <laughs> the uh, 21st. Uh, if you guys are able to go and see that, even though this isn't going to be out until Friday the 24th, whenever that Friday is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but it is playing there. I, it, I think... The Odyssey have released their November showings. It should be showing on their November timetable now. Yeah. Um, get get on it. Get on it. Yeah, and I will be going out of my way to try and see this film. Obviously, with Cineworld closing, it is making things difficult, but we will try and bring you a, view, a, a review of On the Rocks. A view. Uh, no, we, yeah, we will be definitely going to be bringing that review. Um, I'm going to be attempting to go and see this Um it's a competition, Craig. Who can see it first? <laughs> well, uh, what do we have in at number five, my dear friend? It's Cats and Dogs, Paws Unite. Uh, the lovely Pete, one of our listeners, sent that uh, a re- little review in of that. Yeah. Um, said it was terrible, not worth it. Um, although they enjoyed popcorn and other treats whilst watching it. And it was a nice film to sort of watch in that instance, but apparently it was terrible. Um, yeah, don't go and see it. <laughs> yeah, Cats and Dogs, Paws Unite, in at number five, pretty terrible. But what isn't terrible is the film above it, still doing well at the box office. It took another £194,277. People are flooding in to see this film, and why not? It is after we collided. And boy, oh boy, did me and Craig collide last week. 100% worth it. Go and see this film. Uh, I think, David, if you rightfully remember, if you listen back to last week's show, I absolutely wiped the floor with you (laughs) as to why this is an absolutely appalling movie and why you definitely shouldn't go and see it. This is for teenage girls who... And me. um, And you, quite clearly. But teenage girls absolutely love this film. I know why. I can see why. It's certainly a Netflix B-movie. Bury it in the (laughs) sub-menus. Do not go to see it. I will in at number three. In at number three. Sorry, I'm just going to carry on because whatever you're going to say about the film is not worth listening to. Uh, no, I was going to say I, I listened back to the argument, and yeah. I I think on on reflection you may have won the argument, but it's still a film <laughs> worth watching. <laughs> no, it's not. Definitely what do we not. have number at number three? three uh, <laughs> we have Akira. Uh, this is a reissue from uh, for 2020. Um, I've heard lots of good things about it and I really wanted to go and see it and I wanted to see it in the IMAX as we had actually had a free uplift for IMAX from Cineworld, mm. which they loaded onto everybody's unlimited cards. Um, but I didn't get to go and see it in the end and I'm really upset about that. But if I can, I will go and try and see it. 
indeed in at number two we have a a new entry uh, a fairly new film um i went hand solo last week and reviewed this it's saint maud um it took two hundred and sixty three thousand four hundred and thirty three pounds at the weekend um having seen this film i would say it's definitely worth a watch it's a very slow burn but the payoff is worth it and it's it's a very chilling horror um and it's everything you want from a good horror film uh, we do actually have a correspondence in uh, regards to this movie as well from Andy Long. Any relation to you? Uh, <laughs> I can confirm <laughs> he is my brother. And when ah. when when you listen to this wonderful voice clip, people may be able to uh, tell he's my brother from the way he speaks. It's very similar to myself. Good evening, Craig and David. Um, hope you are both well. Um, I'm recording this from Manchester as we speak. Um, firstly, I just wanted to let you guys know that um, it's been absolutely amazing uh, that you guys have carried on with the show, especially during these crazy, uh, turbulent times um, in our country as well as the world. Um, I've really enjoyed um, all the episodes over lockdown. Um, so congrats to you both uh, for continuing uh, with everything. Um, I was lucky enough to get out to the cinema yesterday, uh, my local view cinema. I've not actually been to the cinema, um, since lockdown. So for me, it's been probably February, March sort of time. So it was really great, uh, to be able to see, uh, a film on the big screen. Um, and especially in those recliner chairs, um, at view, which were absolutely delightful. Um, I know David touched on this film uh, during his Han Solo section on the last uh, episode, uh, but I went to go see Saint Maud, um, which is Rose Glass's feature directorial debut. Um, this film is definitely worth it. Um, I've been a fan of horror for many years now, um, and I've seen my fair share of horrors, um, and this is very, very good. Um, wonderfully written, wonderfully directed. Um, it's got some excellent uh, cinematography. And the two leading actresses in this are superb. Um, as David mentioned, uh, the film does have a very slow build-up. Um, but I think that's how horrors should be. I mean, I've seen so many of these modern horror films, you know, which I do like in their, in their own right, you know, Conjuring and uh, Insidious and all these films like that. But, you know, they get to the point too quick. You know, there's a, there's a jump scare every, every 15 minutes and we forget, the, you know, the idea of storytelling and, and seeing these characters unravel. Um, and that's why I am a big fan of um, Ari Aster's work with Hereditary and Midsummer and things like that. Um, and this film certainly was a uh, slow build-up. Um, and there's lots of religious imagery in there, um, which does make this film in particular very chilling. Uh, what's very interesting as well is it kind of subverts what you'd normally see in a horror. Normally you'd see someone go down a, a, a dark, more evil, uh, corrupt route um, and because of that, uh, their behaviour and actions change. But what, what's really interesting about this film is that it, it is someone trying to do good. It's someone trying to um, do the righteous and, and noble thing uh, when actually it, it is completely subverted. And I think that's exactly uh, what the director is trying to show. Um, and, you know, I've seen a few reviews and some other people I've, I've heard saying, oh, you know, it's all a bit confusing. I'm not entirely sure what's going on. I think it's very clear what's going on. Um, and I think the, the film builds up wonderfully and there's enough uh, imagery in there um, and there's enough scenes uh, to show exactly what the director is doing. 
Um, and I've also got to uh, mention the soundtrack as well. Um, I think that soundtracks are so important for films, um, especially horror films, as it does um, create an atmosphere. Um, and even you know when things aren't even happening on the screen, a good, a good soundtrack keep, keeps the audience with you. Um, but overall, um, I think this film is great. Um, it's got a very high score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so I think if you're if you're a horror fan. Um, not for your kind of jumpy, kind of jumpy, scary, kind of those kind of films, but more of like a slow build-up, genuine, horrifying, um, a character-based um, horror. This is definitely your film. Um, so, yeah, definitely go out and watch St. Maud. Cheers. Wow. Uh, thank you, Andy, for your review on St. Maud. And we appreciate the feedback that you gave us there. That was fantastic. It's really great that you've been listening to Yeah well everything during lockdown um it really does make us feel like we've um we're accomplishing something and and that you're listening to everything which yeah. Is really good. um yeah saint maud though david opinions on, yeah um, i think i think andrew really summed it up nicely um definitely worth it it's it's a slow burn i'd love to go and see it again actually um and i would say andrew is or i call him andrew as my brother but andy as he prefers has given us a voice clip there paul gave us one last week if you do want to give us one drop us an email attach a voice note um drop us a, a message or whatever craig explained last week exactly how to do it and we'll happily play it out on the show yeah, and uh, just to reiterate how you do do that and how Andy managed to do it as well for today's episode, you need to record your voice memo on the voice memo app on your mobile telephonic communication device and then click the share button once done. Once you share the button, click or click the share button, shall I say, you just need to email it to my mail is worth it at isitworthitpodcast.com and that will send right over to us where we can then plummet into our little uh, studio and play it live on air when we're doing our box office rundown, if it's in the box office rundown anyway. Fantastic. So literally, Craig, St. Maud in at two. Uh, Andy gave a review. Tenor in at one. Um, it Weekend grossed. It grossed another £296,000. Um, definitely great, worth you know. it. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It is, it's definitely worth going to see in the cinema. People are starting to go out and see it again, obviously, or, or trying to get out to the cinema. And what they're watching, quite clearly, is... is from uh, four to one, you know, after we collided Akira, St. Maud and Tenet, they're the ones that are really pulling in the big bucks. Yeah. On the Rocks might not be at that many cinemas. Um, you know, it's just one of those films that might not be everywhere. Elfkins is a kid's film. Bill and Ted's has its, had its music um, and onwards <laughs> been out for God knows how long. And Kajillionaire, well, I guess we'll find out later on on the show um, whether that's worth it or not and why people might not be going to see that in a minute when it's raked in only £44,000 um, mm. at that weekend. So, I think you could do a 10 to 1, David, even though I've just basically done a, <laughs> a 4 to four to 10. I will do it. In at number 10, we have Kajillionaire. 9, Onward. 8, Bill and Ted Face the Music. 7, It's the Elfkins. Will we ever see it? Uh, 6, On the Rocks. 5, Cats and Dogs Paws Unite. Four, After We Collided. Three, Akira. Two, St. Maud. And still at the top of the pile is Christopher Nolan's Tenant. So our first review on week 47 is, in fact, The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is a film that came out last week on Netflix. 
And the film is based on the infamous 1969 trial of seven defendants charged by the federal government with conspiracy and more arising from the countercultural protests in Chicago at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. The trial transfixed the nation and sparked a conversation about the mayhem intended to undermine the US government. It is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, and I think we should listen to a little clip. I, Bobby G. Seale, have a motion pro se to defend myself. I'd like to invoke the president of Adams versus U.S. ex McCann, where the Supreme Court... All right, that's enough. Where are you learning these things? Does your young friend, Mr. Hampton, have a background in law? Your Honor, the other defendants would like to join in Mr. Seale's motion. Are you now speaking on behalf of Mr. Seale? No, Your Honor, I'm speaking on behalf of the other defendants. You're standing right next to him. Why don't you just represent him? Because I'm not his lawyer. Sir, if I understand Mr. Seal this last month and a half, and I believe I have, he is not represented by counsel. Overruled. I am being denied right Mr. now Seale, my constitutional will you be quiet? right for will legal you, representation. Will you be quiet? You have lawyers to speak for you. No, he doesn't. Wow. Yeah, wow, what a clip you've selected there, Craig. Um, who's going to kick off this review then? I think I can come in here, actually, um, if you don't I'd, mind. Yeah, uh, me and Craig, we uh, we haven't discussed anything, so I have no idea what Craig thought of this, so I'm really excited to hear his thoughts. <laughs> okay, well, I'll kick this off by saying that I think we've come to know Sorkin as the Dialogue King. Would you agree with that? Mate, I, I literally you have taken the words out of my mouth. <laughs> well, I think every script seems to be an incredibly polished um, uh, a piece. Um, the dialogue flows with, with real direct intent. Um, for instance, that we look at the social network, uh, Moneyball, Steve Jobs, all those kind of films where the dialogue is just so unbelievably sharp. Yeah. And I think they fit those kind of movies. Um, but with this one, it's so... It just needs to be very organic and and how the court case scenes unfold, they just feel very, very overproduced. And I think that clip really highlighted that in 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 some in many, many ways. Um, Everyone knows what they're going to say and they are able to articulate themselves very, very well. Mm. And that's down to such an amazingly sharp witted script. Um, But I, I like. It's it's brilliant. Okay, I'll kick it off with that. It is a, an absolutely outstanding movie, but it just feels a little bit overproduced, a little bit overpolished, a little bit. You know, everybody knows exactly what they're going to say. Yeah, I totally and agree. And it misses the organic feel of of how how a court case or how a court scene should unfold. That was a great clip, highlighting just how on the nose everybody would be so quickly saying the right thing at the right time and nothing blossoms with a bit of you know no gap in between people talking yeah so quick you know people have to think about what they're going to say but it doesn't come across in this at all what do you think yeah i think i think you make a really good point about it is 
So I'm not going to deny that this is a really good film. And the interesting thing about this is this has been talked about as potentially one of the favourites for Best Picture. Um, so when I say favourites for Best Picture, I mean one of the films most likely to win Best Picture. Therefore, you would very likely think that this is going to get a nomination. So I've been really, really excited to um, to see this film. And I think Craig's absolutely spot on. I mean, we'll talk more in depth about the cast and the cinematography and, and the plot, etc. as we go through the review. But it does feel very polished, very on the nose, very... It feels a little bit too Hollywood, and I don't want to go into the ending uh, specifically, but it just, it feels, it looks like a perfectly wrapped present. You know, when you see those presents on on TV or, or, in, or in a shop window that are perfectly wrapped and the paper <laughs> is just precise and there's a bow on top. Yeah. That's what this film's like. It, it, it feels almost too good to be true, if that makes sense, Craig. Yeah, no, it does make perfect sense. Like, it, it you know, we, we're in the era like the scene is a hundred percent set. We know where we are. We know how each of these characters have their own quirk in this. Um, you can tell how each person is representing the person in history that they're supposed to be representing. Yeah. But it feels like Sorkin, as a writer, has done a wicked job with the script. Like it's fantastic. Mm. But it's watertight, Sorkin, isn't it? Sorkin as the director, has put too much pressure on that script and hasn't let the acting be talk for itself in that mm. sense like they they're, they're talking they're chomping the the performances the actors they're chomping through Sorkin's script with and it's and it, it, they're brilliant but they're just it just doesn't feel right does it it just doesn't feel it's that organicness that I want to mm. see I want to see it play out in an emotionally emotionally charged way and you do get that. Yeah. I am transfixed in the in the incredible court scenes. I am incredibly engaged. Yeah. I, I find it humorous. I find it incredibly like stunned by some of the things that happen. Oh uh, yeah, shocking. Shocking, yeah. But something like, it just doesn't feel right. Something yeah. is off on an incredibly polished movie. It's too polished, it's too refined, it's too shiny. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Um, the interesting thing is that it has a, one of these great montage openings where it has a mixture of, um, you know, uh, Sorkin's work and then original um, clips from from the 60s. And that really sets the scene of the political and social environment we're in. Um, and what I like as well is Sorkin actually gives us, in the form of written words, titles for who everyone is. So this makes this a really accessible courtroom political um drama is very clear as to what's going on and that's what i like about it some courtroom dramas and some of these type of films you can get very caught up in legality and and it can all be quite heavy and and this isn't heavy this is very polished it's very clear as to what's going on um great pace the film has brilliant pace and like i said a great mixture of original black and white footage uh, mixed in for the police scenes um do you want to talk a bit about the performances, Craig? Yeah. Um, so we'll start off at the top there with Eddie Redmayne um, playing Tom Hayden. Uh, you know, he's he's great. Okay. Eddie Redmayne is a great, great, great actor. He is supporting everybody and everybody is supporting everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
like there is no lead actor in this by mm. any stretch of um, of, of, the, uh, of the imagination. Um, Alex Sharp, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong is in there. Um, John Carroll Lynch. Um, uh, uh, there's so many people in this film. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt from the top of my head. Um, yeah. Oh God, I, I mean, I can't even remember. Michael and Keaton. Also, also, the gentleman who plays the the black gentleman who plays Bobby Seal, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, um, he's in there as well. So we, he he's plays, yeah. the one that features he, in the clip. He plays Bobby Seal. Um, yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. And at one pivotal moment in, in, in the court case, it's absolutely incredible yeah um, um michael keaton two scenes in this film and steals the show at one point i think he's, yeah, he's very absolutely good. incredible um yeah i'm it's just they're all brilliant performances i think if there was one person that i'd pick who'd stand out it would be sasha baron cohen i totally um, agree only ever so slightly i feel like he it's his character though that stands out mm. rather than his performance it's because he abby hoffman seemed to have this amazing role in all of this um <laughs> he's also incredibly humorous as well um yeah i mean i mean the pair of them were absolutely hilarious um uh, jeremy strong playing jerry rubin they're sort of like a comedy act duo together yeah um, yeah Jeremy Strong was brilliant as well, I thought. He was. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, I think uh, John Carroll Lynch playing uh, David Dillinger, I thought he was amazing. Um, like, it's a, But I think he was probably the weakest, or maybe not the weakest, but he seemed to be the most in the background, maybe uh, along with Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. They, some of the characters have a bit more... Of the, uh, they're a bit more in the forefront, yeah. Whilst others a bit more in the background, but only ever slightly. It's like everybody is in on the same level almost. Mm. Um, and and again, I guess that's why this feels a little bit overproduced in some ways. Like Sorkin's been trying to give everybody their screen time, yeah. um, and give everyone their their day in court, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it just uh, I, I like the performances are amazing, and they deliver mm. it in such a good way. But can't help but feel like this isn't an oscar winner this isn't this is they it's it could be nominated but i don't think it's yeah. gonna win um, well i i mean we will on. talk about more more about this on road to the oscars the interesting thing about this film is it's it is incredible craig i wasn't i didn't know what you were going to say but when you said there doesn't seem to be a lead role you're you're absolutely spot on because Netflix and the producers of this film have a real tough choice in who they campaign because it's going to be best supporting actor. Do they campaign Eddie Redmayne? Do they campaign Sasha Baron Cohen? Is it Mark Rylance? Um, you know, because they're not going to be nominated for best lead. It's going to be best supporting. Um, from all the research I've done, like I said, we will touch upon this more on Road to the Oscars. This is definitely going to be nominated for Oscars. But for me, it doesn't feel like a best picture winner. Um but if it's um, going to be a supporting actor, not one of those is a lead or at all, I don't think. I mean, maybe, exactly, maybe Sasha Barra yeah. Cohen. Yeah. So uh, how can how can they pick one to be a supporting? Because they all feel like a supporting role. So I don't think they can do that. I don't think they will. Well, they? The, will they? Well, it depends who they campaign. They will try and select one person and sort of yeah. go with it. Um, will you expand on this on Road to the Oscars then? Yes, I will. I will expand on upon this about what do I mean by who will they campaign? Um, but I, I, I mean, it, it could be, you know, a number of these people. Mm. Um, one thing I do want to touch upon is Frank Langella, who plays Judge Julius Hoffman. Um, 
and and this is almost where the film is brilliant but also loses something because this judge is like so over the top he's like a pantomime villain and whilst the film has remained relatively honest to the original happenings so they've rearranged the order of the way some things happened uh they've slightly twisted some things but they've remained yeah. relatively from my research relatively honest to the original happenings but frank langella's character is so over the top i don't know what you made of him craig he's it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant it, it it's hollywood though isn't it it's yeah, hollywood very exaggerating hollywood. you know there's no way he was exactly like the way he's been portrayed no. there. Um, Sorkin's taking some some creative liberties there without a shadow of a doubt. Um, more, something that's interesting um, that I'm not sure if you your research may have dug up, but did you know Spielberg was set to direct this? I did. Yeah, I did know okay, that. Okay, so yeah. he was set. He was set to write out and direct this project, but it ended up obviously falling to to Sorkin um, with Spielberg on on board to produce. So I'm having, I'm just wondering how he feels about it potentially being, well, first of all, being picked up by Netflix and then potentially being in the running for the Oscars. Mm. He was, and I think he still is absolutely furious with Netflix. Um, He's I get not a this fan just, of streaming services, he's not, is he? He's not. I just get this impression that if you mention Netflix to him, he just goes mad. Like he will just flip over, <laughs> he just flip he just over implodes. a table. He just, yeah, he just flips a table over. He'll just grab the nearest piece of china and, and, and then deliberately, de- deliberately miss you. He'll throw it against the brick wall that's behind you, and yeah, very it just smashes into a, a million pieces. And then, and then he screams, "Not in this house!" I just, I, just, <laughs> I do just get that sense that he just goes mad if you mention Netflix. Yeah. No, I mean the um, way it's reported. I but. believe fifty-six million either pounds or dollars uh, is what Netflix paid for the rights for this movie. It's um, a lot of money. It's, it is a lot. But um, one thing I did want to say is I think this has got a great. Again, I will mention this more on the road to the Oscars. Best ensemble cast at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. That's all I'm going to say because that award goes for the the film that has the best ensemble, and the, the ensemble cast here is brilliant. The cinematography very very solid. How about that production design though, Craig? Very good. Really captures the era, and the hair and makeup I thought was all on point as well. So there's a number of Oscar potentials for for writing, for hair and makeup, for cinematography. Um, obviously, best picture but I don't think it's going to be a best picture winner. And I will talk about that more on road to the Oscars. Yep. Um, I think we're, we're good to go now with, with asking questions. What do you think? Uh, I, I think we are, but didn't we have, do we have an email that we wanted to read? We, well, we might do. Should we have a, let's check the inbox, shall we? Let's have a look. <laughs> I, like, I like this. Let's, let, let's pretend we didn't know we had an email. Let's check the <laughs> inbox. Oh, look, an email. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure we do, but I can't find it. So, <laughs> Oh. Ah, I found it. Yes, this comes from Daryl. Uh, it says, hi, guys. I really enjoyed this film. A gripping drama. The plot kept moving forward and two hours flew by. The acting was superb by the ensemble cast, so very hard to select standout performances, but Sasha Baron Cohen was very convincing and Frank Langella a memorable judge. Uh, The film has strong political messages and is as relevant today as they were 50 years ago. The Mm. historical facts speak for themselves, but in order to emphasise the message, Aaron Sorkin wants to give the dramatisation and takes a few liberties with actual events. Not sure they were all needed. 
Given the current political debate in the US, the film is likely to reinforce views rather than move the debate forwards. The film is certainly a good buy by Netflix and will be much watched and discussed on social media. Regarding the Oscars, it is going to be in the mix and in the nominations with Sacha Baron Cohen, the best individual performance, but it is the cast as a whole that makes this film. As for Best Picture, I suspect the political message will improve its chances, but not likely a winner in my view. Definitely worth seeing. It will make the watcher think. There are some funny moments and you feel the outrageous unfairness. Given nearly everyone wants justice, equality and fairness, nearly everyone will find this film worth it. This is from Daryl, old enough to remember the Vietnam War as a schoolboy. <laughs> I love how he signed well, that off. <laughs> thank you very much, Daryl. I did have some other correspondence on social media. Do we want to read that out now or should we save that for the end of the yeah, show? If, if you've got it up, go for it. Um, so we got a message from Claire who said, I thoroughly enjoyed the trial of the Chicago seven. I was amazed and shocked at the American justice system. And although I appreciate there was a bias built in and some facts cannot be changed, but the process they went through was crazy. Brilliantly acted in some moments of great humor in a situation where you would need to feel it was possible. A bit of poetic license with the events to maintain the drama, but I was gripped from the word go. And that doesn't usually happen for me. Um, I think that's that, that's that's spot on. I think the film does grip you from the beginning. Um, and finally, we also got a message from James Williamson, who said, watch the trial of the Chicago 7. Thought it was a fantastic film that really brought to surface the emotion that divided the country, not only on the Vietnam War, but the civil rights movement that was happening as well. Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne's performances were outstanding, and I can definitely smell the whiffs of an Oscar nomination. Um, James is a regular a listener um we really appreciate that correspondence um if you want to get in touch with the show please do so uh via email or social media yep so the email address is my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com or follow us as david says on the various social medias uh let's go for the questions and david would you like to go and ask me the question or shall i ask you first which would you like mr fields my good friend i'm going to ask you the question the trial of the chicago seven currently available on netflix is it worth it Yes, this is definitely worth watching. Um, I would love to have seen this in the cinema. Um, mm. it, it was going to be playing at some cinemas. Um, so if you can get, or if you do get the chance to go to the cinema to see this, let us know how you found it in the cinema. Nonetheless, it is a great place to watch it on Netflix as well. Um, especially with if you've got a bit of surround sound and a nice big yeah. TV, it will go very well there. Um, I think this, as as Daryl mentioned, this is one that speaks so much from the history historical past but actually resonates very much so today and i think the one that's one of the big reasons why this is definitely worth watching but on top of that it's humorous it's engaging it's sharp maybe a little bit too sharp and overproduced mm. and a bit too polished but nonetheless it's an incredibly enjoyable watch david the trial of the chicago i'll say that again mate <laughs> david <laughs> the trial of the chicago seven is it worth it uh, I think you've hit all the nails on all the heads there, Craig. Um, look, the ensemble cast in here is brilliant. The script is is masterful. You'd expect nothing less from Sorkin. Lovely cinematography, great production design, good hair and makeup. Um, 
from the get-go, the film had me gripped. I really, really think that this has a lot to say about the American, American political system, the American justice system, the huge divide in America between the right wing and the left wing that, by the way, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger in the States, and not only in the States, but all across Europe. And it's a discussion that needs to be had about the polarisation of, of politics. Um, and for all those reasons, I think it's it's 100% worth it. And thank you to Claire, Daryl, uh, James, um, and anyone else who messaged us. Really appreciated. But the trial of the Chicago 7, for me, Craig, 100% worth it. So it's now time for our second review on week 47 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And it is Kajillionaire, and I will be going hand solo on this review. What is Kajillionaire about, I ask you? Well, two con artists have spent 26 years training their only daughter to swindle, scam and steal at every turn. During a desperate and hastily conceived heist, they charm a stranger into joining them only to have their entire world turned upside down. Written and directed by Miranda July, let's take a little listen to a clip and then I'll dive in to my review. I'm Melanie. Right, okay. Uh, Melanie, meet old Dolio. Old what? Dolio. Old Dolio. Okay, I like that. I like that. <sighs> See, this is exactly the kind of thing that I've been wanting. Don't touch. Huh? Don't touch the table. I've been through tremors a lot smaller than this. It just turns everything electric. It's like zap. Because this is the way the big one starts. But the noise, it just keeps building and building and building. This one's not good. The big one will be loud. I mean, if you're lucky, you'll get crushed. And then you'll you just die right then and there. Immediately. A never-ending void. Wow. So, YOLO. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> that is uh, a really good clip that Craig has selected there and really sums up some of the darker humour that this film has where um, Robert played by Richard Jenkins there talks about this never ending void. And basically this is a story about two parents and their daughter. You've got Robert and Teresa, the parents, Robert is played by Richard Jenkins and Teresa is played by Deborah Winger. And their daughter is called old Dolio and she's played by Evan Rachel Wood. And, from the title, you would think that this is about money and people trying to get money. And in some ways, that's what they're trying to do. Believe it or not, Craig, they're actually living in the back of a bubble factory. Um, and two or three times a day, the bubbles start to leak through the wall and they have to use bins to scrape all this foam and put it down a drain. It's all very bizarre and it really sums up the film. Um, but the person who owns the bubble factory is allowing them to stay there because they're fundamentally homeless and they have to pay them rent and their rent's coming up and they don't have the money and we see them do a variety of different scams um and old dolio does a does a trick where she pretends to find a watch and give it to someone and then gets a reward uh they do another scam where she rents a, a local mailbox but then actually 
uses her hand to go inside the mailbox and reach around and take things out of other mailboxes. And we see them gathering money, but they haven't got enough. And they go for this really big sort of heist that involves suitcases in an airport. Um, and I won't go too much into the detail. Um, but basically it involves losing their luggage and then claiming it back on the insurance. Um, what I would say about this film is it's got a really slow pace. And I mean, not painfully slow, but noticeably slow. Um, there is good character development here, Craig, but it's very slow and subtle and things uh, are slowly revealed. It's not like for a food analogy, you know, if you go to a fancy restaurant, you have those silver covers and they take the food off and it's like dada and you see the meal straight away. This is very slowly revealed. Um, there is some good humor in there, but it's very dark and again, quite subtle. Um, the things that stood out for me were the lovely soundtrack, like a really striking soundtrack. Um, and the cinematography as well. I thought the cinematography was really, really striking. Um, and the cinematography is from Sebastian Winterow. Um, and it was just a gorgeous film to look at. Really good performances. And critically, I think this is a very sound piece. But it is at the same time a difficult watch. Now, me and Craig have always had this argument about Rotten Tomatoes and should we use Rotten Tomatoes. But I do, if it's okay, Craig, I do want to reveal the Rotten Tomatoes scores for this film. Uh, go on then. So Craig will allow it, folks. Um, it gets an 89% from the critics and a 45% from the audience. Now, let me tell how you how many, many people that's from. Um, that's from a total of 161 critics, but only 40 verified ratings, sorry, 80 verified ratings on the audience score. Why do I want to bring up the Rotten Tomato scores? Because I think they perfectly sum this film up. If I was to give this a critical score, with my critic hat on 89%, but 45% from the audience. And I think that's because it, it is a very strange film and you can feel slightly um, detached from the characters, but it's a film that's got lots of meat on the bone. It's sort of being marketed as this wacky indie comedy, but it's more accurately described as like a coming of age story about this traumatized young woman escaping her strange and controlling parents. Um, and it's really a story about finding yourself um, accepting your flaws, uh, accepting the flaws of others. Um, and let me just say Miranda July, I think she's a brilliant talent and critically, I hope this review is making sense. I think this is really an accomplished piece, but from a viewing perspective, is it the kind of thing that I enjoyed? Yes, I enjoyed it critically, but as, as a, as a viewer, it is quite slow and it wouldn't be for everyone. Um, but this director has so much promise. Um, and there's, there's so many layers to this film. Kajillion air. You think it's all about getting money, but it's not. It's about this woman finding who she is. Amazing. So, okay. So if I ask you the question, will you be able to answer? I've thought so much about this. Um, but yes, I'm ready for the question. Uh, David, Kajillionaire, is it worth it? I'm going to have to say, and I've changed my mind, yes, it is oh, worth okay. seeing. Um, 
I I was going to say no just because of how slow it is, but I think as a as a director, this this lady brings so much uniqueness and so much talent. Um, the performances, I just want to briefly touch upon the performances. Um, I thought they were they were great. Uh, Evan Rachel Wood as Old Dolio, superb. Gina Rodriguez as as her, the friend um, Melanie, brilliant. Richard Jenkins, he's plays the father. I think he's great, and there's. There's a lot of meat on the bone here, Craig, and I would warn you, though, it's very slow. It's very heavy. The humour is very dark. It's not for everyone, but for me, Kajillion Air was worth it. Excellent. Um, one question for you, though. Okay. Was there anything graphic in there, anything that would stop uh, younger audiences from going to see it? Um, is it? Is it one for a younger audience or is it way more for a, an adult audience? No, it's definitely for the for the adult audience, not because there's anything graphic in here, but I think some people are going to find this very, very slow and heavy, and um, it's it's definitely for an older, more mature audience. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend this to to sort of teenagers or you know, it's 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 heavy. Excellent. So uh, that was David's review of Kajillion Air. We're going to move on to the next review right now. So our next review is a pretty big review here, I think. I think this is a substantial film that we're going to be chatting about now. You say Kajillion has got a lot of meat on the bone. Well, this one's got significant meat falling off the bone and then some. (laughs) Um, This is The Social Dilemma. It's a Netflix original documentary movie uh, and it has tech experts sounding the alarm on the dangerous and, of course, harmful impact social networking and, by extension, um, our own mobile telephonic communication devices are having on society and the human race as a whole. I do, in fact, have a clip lined up, so let's take a listen to that. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked, is being measured. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. Exactly what image you stop and look at, for how long you look at it. Oh yeah, seriously, for how long you look at it. They know when people are lonely. They know when people are depressed. They know when people are looking at photos of your ex-romantic partners. They know what you're doing late at night. They know the entire thing. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or what kind of neuroses you have, what your personality type is like. They have more information about us than has ever been imagined in human history. It is unprecedented. And that was a clip from The Social Dilemma. And I think that clip (laughs) uh, really does sum up exactly what this film is trying to do and what it's trying to say. I think this is probably one of the most important documentaries available on Netflix at this very moment in time. Uh, The Social Dilemma seems to introduce us to the consequences of essentially monetizing platforms uh, that are intended to be free. Uh, Tools such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of these um, companies companies that set these up they they never really quite intended to be huge profitable companies but instead um you know they do need to make money they need to pay the people that work on them so how do they go about doing that and one of the ways they do that is by harvesting our data 
Um, so by harvesting our data and understanding our movements and what we do online, and they they get they learn and understand who we are as individuals, not just, not as a whole, not as you know a family. They understand us on a on a level that is way more than they should be allowed to. But the problem is every single one of these social medias or social networking devices or tools, as we like to call them, they're vying for each of our attention, every single yep. one. Yep. So they have built incredibly sophisticated artificial intelligent algorithms that <laughs> will are basically evolving um, quicker than anything on this planet at this moment in time. And what that means is, I mean, I've actually got a definition down here as to what an algorithm actually is. Um, so an algorithm, algorithm is essentially a process or a set of rules that are followed in, a ca- in calculations or other problem-solving operations and is especially done by a computer. Yeah. So essentially what it's doing is asking things such as, um, I don't know, I like to look at cars on YouTube. So Mm. the algorithm is looking at the fact that I look at cars. And then it's looking at the fact that it's then going to recommend me videos. So take YouTube, for example, it's going to recommend me videos. Because I've looked at car videos, it's going to recommend multiple different car videos. And as it recommends different ones, it's learning what might be my my preference within these car videos. It's learning that I might prefer electric vehicles over diesel vehicles. It's learning that there are many different um, things about a car that I like. And then that by harvesting that information, it can offer me ads on YouTube based on my preferences of those car videos. It might show me that some Tesla uh, um, ads in between videos because I like electric vehicles. So. Every time they show an ad, they start earning money. And as mu- if, if they can get our attention, we end up falling through this rabbit hole of different things that these computers and these algorithms are suggesting to us. And then they end up making more and more money. The problem is that none of these companies are regulated. And by extension, we're not evolving because, well, as a human race, we don't evolve as quickly as these computers. And it's causing yeah. huge problems. And I am rambling here quite a bit because I think because it's such an important film and an important documentary, I want to be really, really clear as to what this documentary is about and what it's doing and what Mm. I think it's told us. So I think as as a whole, as a species, we haven't evolved to handle this digital revolution that's going on. And this leads us to some very stark figures that they actually said in the film as well that suggest that this correlates with a steep rise in mental health illness in younger people and in adults and subsequently an increase in suicide because of the way that social networking um, companies are abusing us in terms of the data that they harvest and then therefore allow us to be fixated on our mobile phones. Yeah. And I will allow you to come in now and and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on this documentary. No, I think, I mean, 
this was this was powerful. This really resonated with me because I am not ashamed to say that I I have struggled with addiction my entire life, whether it be to caffeine, whether it be to cigarettes, whether it be to alcohol, gambling. Craig knows that I'm a very addictive person, and my addiction to my phone is terrible. Um, I'm sure Craig will nod his head and agree with me. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's so bad to the point where I could be in a conversation with you and I will stop in the middle of that conversation and check my phone because I'm so desperate to know what that notification is. And that is worrying. And I know Craig will touch upon this more. He's taken steps um, with his social media. What would I say that I've done with my social media? Well, about, two years ago, three years ago, I made the decision to only post positive stuff on social media. So I actually did a, a 365 days of positivity where I posted a picture or a quote or just something positive every day for a whole year. Um, because this documentary highlighted the dangers of mobile phone technology and the dangers of social media. I mean, a really fast paced introduction and interviews with lots of people in the industry that immediately captures you. And this is people with inside knowledge. And then it skips to more fast paced news clips all about social media and the damage it's doing. And I've actually got a quote here that says we've gone from the age of information to the age of disinformation. Yeah, um, from the information age to the disinformation age and the addictive nature of mobile phones. Um, and a brilliant quote that I thought really summed this documentary up, Craig. It says, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. Um, yeah, huge, hugely true there. Um, just want to step back as to what you said about, you know, what actions you've taken to, mm. you know, combat your addiction to social media in a way. Do you feel that by posting to social media is the correct steps, especially if, even if it's positive, mm. is that really helping you? It's interesting. At the time, yes, because I, I, I was... <sighs> I don't want to criticize people for what they do on their social media, but I was one of the bad people when it came to attention seeking posts and negative posts and just harmful posts that aren't needed. And for me at the time, doing that 365 days of positivity was the right step. Now, what steps am I going to take? The answer is I don't know. Do you want to discuss about what the decisions you've made? Well, I mean, before I do do say that or do go into that i think it you're i mean it's good to post positive things on on mm. social media but what this documentary highlighted is that it's not what people post it's how other people or companies and businesses use this social media platform to yeah. leverage our attention so yeah. what they do it doesn't matter david if you're posting positive posts because that's not relevant to them Okay. Well, it matters when to I the people them, that follow me on social media. But that it doesn't matter to Facebook. It doesn't matter to Twitter because they will only show the relevant posts to the relevant people who are looking. Okay. Yeah, that is, so, that is scary though because some of my posts get a lot of likes and it's almost like some of them are completely ignored. That's because there is an algorithm that will say if this is in this, it will show it to the people who will more likely like your post. The like button mm. in itself is an addiction. Getting likes yeah. on posts is an addiction. So, mm. you know, posting things that are positive for responses and likes is an addiction. 
in itself. So whether or not you're posting these things that are positive, it's giving you an adrenaline rush because Mm. you're posting something positive and you're getting a good response back. And that makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah. That is not a positive step forward in the way that we should be using social media. It was at the time, in my opinion. Maybe, but it's a false... It's a false uh, reality that you're living there in some instances. The problem that I have as well is that whatever website you go on, these companies track you on what you're looking at Mm. through cookies, as they call them, and other various ways of tracking your, uh, your traffic to other websites. Based on that knowledge that that then collects, it can show you posts that it thinks can sway your mind in a certain way. So one of the big things that it touches upon is Russia in this documentary. It could have talked about it in in more ways, but it talked about how uh, a state or a country can infiltrate another without even anybody knowing. So one of the ways that Russia influenced the American presidential election which got allowed donald trump to get into power was by manipulating the facebook ads or the facebook posts that can be shown onto those vulnerable people who are more likely to read the information fake information that russia or the other countries could be putting onto these social medias to influence the way people see things and it is scary to think that this is not regulated. Yeah. So if you are one of those people who are into conspiracy theories and you go on conspiracy theory websites, you could be a target, an easy target to unravel by showing people or showing, I don't know, it could be a post about how cor- coronavirus, which is highlighted in here, can be cured by injecting bleach. You could be shown those posts more than somebody who would not likely believe that. And then you believe it. This is how social media influences us. And how it can be very detrimental in your opinion. Yeah. I mean, I made a few notes on this film. It's a documentary, but it's also got some drama in there as well. What would you describe it as? Like little snips of... So I think it's, it's almost like a separate film. So yeah. it has a family. Um, so there's a, I suppose, a story running through this. Uh, yeah. A secondary it's story. It's brilliantly done, by the way. I think it's pretty, I mean, there's some strange off-key moments within it. But I mean, there's it, there, it personifies social media by giving it a, a face, I suppose, and um, mm. giving you a control center where they're analyzing the person, people that are, uh, you know, on their mobile phones. Um, and tells the story of a family and how each individual is addicted to their phone and why they're addicted yeah. to their phone and their story as it progresses and how they go down that rabbit hole and the things that eventually happen to them because of the way that they're using social media and the things that are presented to them. Um, yeah. And I think it's a very good uh, way of visually showing us 
how it can it can be very damaging. Yeah, I mean, w- one of the scenes that stood out for me was when the family was at dinner um, and the mother made a decision to remove all of their mobile phones and put them in this like uh, Tupperware box. And you could see everyone going through withdrawals. You know, you could hear, they could hear their phones pinging in the box and they wanted to know what was in it. And it got to the point where one of the young girls actually smashed the box open to get into their phones. And it just showed to me the scary thing about this documentary was the scary stats about how much these companies know. Um, the fact that there's a huge, as Craig touched upon, there's a real correlation between social media and self-harm and suicide. And also one of the most important things that came out of this documentary was a, a statistic that fake news spreads on Twitter and Facebook, but mostly Twitter six times faster than real news. I mean, wow. That is why now we live in this world where if you want to know what's happening in the world, if there's an incident before the BBC or Sky give you an update on your phone, if you scroll through Twitter and you follow the right people, it will probably be on there or if you search in the search bar. But a lot of this is fake news. And it, it, this documentary blew me away. I've got to, got to be honest. It's it's not that. I think people, uh, well, the way the way it spreads on, on Twitter is that one person sees it and retweets it. And that's why it gets spread so quickly. Nothing is reviewed to see whether yeah. or not it's based on fact. So that's why there are companies or, or, or you know, um, you know, governed bodies for news you know, for, for the BBC and Fox and stuff like that. But I mean, even Fox News is, isn't a, is, is, is proud to, to spread fake news all the time. It's, you know, a lot of these things are regulated to an extent. The social medias are not regulated at all. Yeah. And that's scary. But one of the things that's happening to the younger people today is that they're picking up on on these. They're addicted to their phones probably more than some of us are. And this is, yeah, it's Generation Z, isn't it? They are the ones that are going to be very different to how we grew up. And Mm. they are not going to be the same when they are our age at all. And it's incredibly scary to see that not one of these tech experts or people that were high up in facebook twitter instagram um uh, snapchat pinterest reddit reddit was reddit one of them i'm not so sure um i don't remember i I don't remember a reddit person being on there but either way um not one of those people who had children allows their children to go on a social media at all that's saying something. These are the inventors of these social medias. Mm. They won't allow their children to use it because they know fundamentally this is an epidemic in itself. And we oh, have yes. to take actions to to remove what they've built because it is damaging to the human race as species. It actually is. It's doing more things to us than we will ever be able to quantify until it's too late. Exactly like what we're doing to this planet right now. We are destroying. I mean, it, is, it is dangerous. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm terrible for my phone. You know, ask people at work but when recording the podcast. I'm always worried about what's going on on my phone. The first thing I do in the morning when I wake up is check my phone. Um, and I'm 
it's a little bit OCD, but I'm obsessed with, you know, when you get a notification, you know, have a little red one or, or three or four, depending on how many messages you've got. I've got to read those messages and I've got to reply to those messages. My emails every morning, I've got to read those emails and reply to those emails. I like to keep a tight ship when it comes to my mobile phone, but it, it controls me. I'll, I'll admit that. Yeah, and and that's why I've taken some steps to to remove those things. I'm trying to, well, I've deleted Facebook off my phone. I haven't deleted my Facebook account because I still need to access it for the podcast um and and various things. But I'm not going to be sharing my life on Facebook anymore. I'm I'm not going to be sharing things on Instagram because that's now gone off my phone. Um I'm not going to be using all of the social medias on my phone have basically gone except for Messenger because I might need to contact somebody. But I have also disabled every single notification on my phone. I've disabled, I've put, I've put screen time on. So during the certain hours, nothing is allowed to be used on my phone. It restricts access to certain apps. Um, and I've also... Uh, decided that in some point in the future i probably will get a different mobile phone one that isn't so sophisticated to 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 stop myself from from being addicted to my phone i've also trying to retrain myself because i am addicted like you said when you wake up in the morning the first thing you do is look at your phone i've stopped doing that i'm not doing i'm purposefully not looking at my phone now i'm getting a bump i'm doing the things i need to do because it's ridiculous you you will First of all, you'll look first. You'll wake up. You look at your phone. You've got a couple of notifications. You'll start reading it, and then you'll start doing other stuff on your phone. And before you know it, half an hour's gone by, twenty minutes, yeah, I, forty I minutes, fifty minutes, sixty minutes, an hour, and you're like, "Hang on a second, I'm running late for work now," or some, or by the by, whatever, something like that might happen. That is a true indication of being addicted to something. That if you start losing time on on it and. That, that's exactly how they're designed. They're designed to reel you in. Yeah. So I've, no, I'm, I'm stopping all of that and I feel better already. Sunday, I spent barely any time on my phone and I had a brilliant day. And, and I think, David, if you can, I think you need to take steps because you, out of both of us, I know I'm addicted, <laughs> right? You are seriously addicted to your phone. Seriously, yeah. seriously addicted to your mobile phone. I think it's fair to say that there will be some people who are listening who know you very well who hate your mobile phone. Mm. Absolutely hate it because it's always attached to one of your hands when you should be doing other things, correct? You are correct. I'll be honest. Me and Craig are good friends. A lot of this is news to my ears. I don't know if you've gone a bit over the top, but... How's that news to your ears? Well, it's news to me. You know, it's 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 new. I didn't I didn't know. Well, you didn't know that you're constantly addicted to your mobile telephonic communication device. No, I didn't know you made all these changes. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, these are big changes that are happening. I did email you because I will use email on my computer, and I let you know that I've. Yeah, I've... I know. I got an email from Craig. Like, I'm not using social media no. anymore. If it's you need like, me, contact oh. me via a phone by ringing me or email me, and I might WhatsApp you every now and then. But I'm trying. I'm. I'm even going to disable um, WhatsApp. I think because that in itself is also a social media you're expecting people to contact yeah. you the same with messenger to be honest with you i need to just abolish it all and only be contactable by phone or email in terms of ringing me or email me and i think that will help 
help in some way. It's not solving the problem at all, at all. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I would say, we have spoken a lot about this. We're we're both the same age. We're both. Are you thirty yet, Craig? Or are you still twenty nine? I am twenty nine, but I'm thirty in December. Yeah. So we're both twenty nine. When I grew up, I am so thankful, and I'll I'll say this publicly on the podcast. I am so thankful that I did not have a mobile phone. And when they when they did come out, it was a Nokia thirty three ten. And then, Craig, do you remember if you were, you know, if you were really well off, you would have the thirty-three thirty, woo, and you would play Snake <laughs> on it and things like that. I remember you used to have to run to your mate's house and knock on his door. You had to knock for your friends to get yep. them to come out, yep. or yep. alternatively, you would call their house phone. Their parents would pick up, and it'd be like, you know, can Tom come out and and play, or can 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 Tom come to the cinema tonight? Tom, come down, you know. And <laughs> there's something a little bit of role play there. There's something wonderful about, about those, about those times about, I feel so sorry for young girls with this Snapchat filter culture. Snapchat dysmorphia it's called, isn't it? Yeah. It's actually a condition now where on Snapchat, you can put these filters on and they obviously take away blemishes, but we should be embracing our differences. You know, we don't all want to look the same. We don't all want to look filtered out. And, what I would say is, I, I mean, me and Craig will have different personal opinions and we'll take different actions upon the back of this documentary. We've spoken a lot about it. It's a very powerful, hard-hitting documentary and one that I think, like David Attenborough's documentary on Netflix, it has to be seen. has to be seen. 100%. 100%. You need to watch this and then make your own choices as to what the next steps are. One of the things that I actually would like to quickly say before we round this off is that I do feel like it gave us all of the doom and gloom. It didn't give us anything that can help us change. It said turn, you know, one of the things that some of the tech guys would do is turn off notifications and um you know so stop allowing things from notifying you um you know delete certain things off the phone and you know it it didn't give us an answer as to how to solve this completely at all it didn't have any anything like that really it touched upon some things but otherwise it showed us the problem how the problem started and how out of hand it's getting um otherwise it didn't really give us a solution um and that's one of the downsides of it it's scary Mm. i would love to hear everybody's opinion on it um so if you've watched it um please email the show at my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com uh don't don't whatsapp don't uh facebook uh (laughs) No, you do. But um, uh, yes, uh, please email us about it and get in contact about this this movie um, or this documentary from Netflix. David, yeah. is there anything else you'd like to add before we ask questions? Uh, no, I'm just I'm going to miss you, Craig. <laughs> you know, I'm right here. You just have to pick up the phone and ring me when and as yeah. and when you need me. But I think the thing is, we've all got this unrealistic um, notion in our heads that we all should be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the person that we're that we need. And, uh, yeah. and if somebody yeah. doesn't reply, it's it's problematic. Why can't they reply? You know, it's only a text message. You know what? I might be doing something else. Um, so yeah. I think. I think I think we've got to take away this instant communication thing. And I think that's why I think email's great, because you can email someone, you don't expect an instant reply. 
Um, yeah, and a I, phone call's good. I like how you put kind regards as well. That was really very full. I mean, that's just the email signature, if I'm honest. It's, it's a generic thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. Um, Look, just what, put uh, my final thoughts on this. Put down your phone and look at the real world. And and mm. it's it's beautiful outside. Nature is wonderful. Get off your phone, essentially. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say before we ask the questions is that this f- picture that was doing the rounds actually on social media, bizarrely, of a a school trip to an art gallery. Um, I'm not sure what uh, art gallery it was, but there was a like a um, a circular bench in the middle of the gallery, and there was about eight people sat on it, and they were all looking at their phones. And in the background, you had these fantastic pieces of artwork. They were in an art gallery. And instead of looking up, they were looking down. This is a problem. We're in the middle of a pandemic. This is a serious problem. And it's one that I have to address. And I need to look at it because my friends will tell you I'm terrible for my mobile phone. But yeah, that one one picture of in an art gallery, everyone looking at their phones was just tragic. Are you actually going to do anything about it? So, Craig, I don't know. What does that mean? We'll discuss it more off air via oh, email. I want to hear now. I want to hear live on air. What are the actions that, I, that you could take? Because you are you you are. I, 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 what can you do? I don't know. I don't know. Should we ask the questions? No, I'm, I'm asking you a question. Come on. Um, could you delete Facebook off your I'll phone? I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I'm 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 a churchgoer. I can I I struggle to get through the church service without looking at my phone. It's terrible. That's disgusting. <laughs> it's That's bad, really, isn't it? That is that is really bad. I mean, even for, for a non-religious person would say, "Oh, that's a terrible dis- disrespect." I mean, modern church people often use their phones to make notes on the sermon, but I think we've talked too much. I don't know, Craig. The the honest answer is, and I'm, I'm an honest person. I don't know what I'm going to do, but. I am addicted to my phone and I do need to take action. Um, people at work will, will tell you that I'm terrible for it. Yeah, yeah you certainly are. <laughs> I mean, we've worked together before. You've had but, your phone locked in safes before. That's how bad it got. When was my phone locked in a safe? Um, I mean, don't you remember when we worked at a specific hotel once upon a time and uh, the manager locked oh, your phone yeah. in a rather large safe because you would constantly be on it snapchatting uh, god knows what else it was horrendous look we could talk about <laughs> i think what we could talk about i'm trying to do a donald trump and and just change the subject we could talk about this for hours why because this documentary is incredible craig is it yes. worth it the social yes, dilemma yes yes this is 100 percent what worth watching why is it 100 percent worth worth watching because of everything we just outlined this is a very very long discussion and it's almost an entire episode based on our opinions on this um we've just discussed ex- is exactly what this documentary is about but if you do not see it with your own eyes and your own and listen to it with your own ears it will not have the impact of us telling you about it you need to do something about your phone watch this documentary and it will change you I hope. David, the social dilemma, is it worth it? Well, the social dilemma has given me a bit of a dilemma. What do I do about my addiction to my mobile phone? Um, Look, this, I was very surprised when Craig messaged me and said, we're going to review this on the show. I'm so glad he did. Maybe we've talked a bit too long. I don't know. But it, 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 
it needs to be discussed. Like there is a problem with mobile phone addiction and everything that's outlined in this documentary is just powerful and incredible. And the social dilemma is 100% worth it. It's on Netflix. Check it out as soon as possible and email us uh, your, your thoughts on it. We'd love to hear what you thought. Woo. It's now time for some news. And it's some uh, actual, actually really rather sad news. Um, I've only got one piece of news today because I feel, I think, I think we both agree that this is probably quite a significant piece of news uh, and rather, rather sad as well. Um, David, would you like to read out a, a statement that you've got? Yeah, it's just a statement from Jeff Bridges. He actually put it on his social media account, bizarrely enough, on the back of the conversations we've just had. But Jeff Bridges says, as the dude would say, new shit has come to light. I have been diagnosed with lymphoma. Although it is a serious disease, I feel fortunate that I have a great team of doctors and the prognosis is good. I'm starting treatment and will keep you posted on my recovery. I am profoundly grateful for the love and support of my family and friends. Thank you for your prayers and well wishes. And while I have you, please remember to go vote because we are all in this together. Vote.org. So he even gives a, a link to go and vote there. Love, Jeff. Um, yeah, it's just a, a great actor. Um, it's it's very sad news, but it's news that I felt we should bring to you. Uh, it is new, big news within the film industry, uh, and I think we pay respect to Jeff by just having that one piece of news, and we obviously wish him well and a speedy recovery. Yeah, from uh, from all of the podcast team, um, Jeff, you've brought us some wonderful movies, um, some absolutely incredible performances, and uh, we wish you a very, very speedy recovery. We interrupt this broadcast or visit Worth It the Film Review Podcast for an important announcement. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would like to remind you that you can now become a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. This helps the podcast to continue to grow as well as offering the potential for bonus content and Is It Worth It merchandise. Your support helps the podcast stay alive. So why not become a Patreon supporter today? Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Is It Worth It Podcast. So it's now time for our next review, and we are going to be reviewing a film called The Lie. So what is this film about? Well, a father and daughter are on their way to dance camp when they spot the girl's friend on the side of the road. When they stop to offer the friend a ride, their good intentions soon result in terrible consequences. Before we dive into our review, let's take a little listen to a clip. Kayla! 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 Kayla, get down there! Kayla! Get down! Kayla! What are you doing? 
What are you doing? We were just joking around. Where's your friend? Where is she? Where's your friend? And that was a clip from The Lie. Um, So, as David said in the uh, synopsis there, um, this film is very simply about a father and daughter on their way to a dance camp, and they bump into or they see a girl on the side of the road that is the um, daughter's friend, and they offer her a ride, and and things soon unravel to to seriously terrible consequences. Um, But this is a remake of a 2014, I believe 2014, German movie called VL Monster. I believe that's how you say it. Um, We haven't seen this, um, or I assume you haven't seen it, David. I have not seen the original movie, no. (laughs) Okay, so it's directed by Vina Sad. Uh, and it stars Joey King, who plays Kayla, who's the daughter. Uh, she's probably best known for The Kissing Booth and possibly Slenderman. Did you see her in Slenderman? Because I know you saw that. Yes, I did, yeah. Um, it also has uh, Muriel Enos. I can't say her surname. I can't say her name either. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's yeah. great. Uh, she plays the mum in this movie, uh, mum to Kayla. Um, and she's been in loads of stuff. Peter Sarsgaard as well is in it. He plays the dad. Um, we recently saw him in Mr. Jones. He played Walter Durante. Um, um, he's also about to be in the new Batman film. Um, he's also been in Dead Man Walking. Tons of stuff. Um, really great. Three core, really, really good um, actors. The performances that they give in this film, I think, is absolutely excellent. Yeah. But the movie tries very hard to perpetuate this lie. I won't say what the lie is because it will give too much away. Um, but it, it tries really hard to, protect, uh, to perpetuate. Uh, got got stamina um perpetuate that lie um but it falls in my eyes massively massively short by way and large it's the protagonist's own self-worth and their exploration of their psychology that it lets itself down so massively because the whole thing is relying on this suspenseful lie being found out or not found out and yeah. all we see is a very middle class, separated, but nonetheless together, white family um, and very, very more, uh, very, very, very privileged in a way. And it feels like the jeopardy or suspe- suspense that it's relying on, on this lie being found out, is just not really tangible there. There's no emotion there to it. It, it just feels that the entire journey of, of what they're going through isn't really being believable. Um, the lie is just constantly being perpetuated in a way that just unravels at a ridiculous and nonsensical kind of rate. Um, so in that sense, I think I'd like to pause there and see if you can come in, David, and see what, where, where you got to with that. Yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying. This is a completely non-spoiler review, and if you've seen the lie, or hopefully you will see the lie, you will you will realise why. I think the first thing I want to say about this movie is um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it didn't get great scores on Rotten Tomatoes, but I won't give them because I know you're not a fan. Um, but, <laughs> but it also I, backs up what I, I'm saying. <laughs> 
Sorry, what was that? But it also backs up what I'm saying versus what you're about to say, possibly. Yeah, well, I mean, having listened back to the podcast the other week, you did win the argument. Let me try and win the argument with the lie. Um, I tell you what the film does do, and it's not a spoiler. It gives away, it has, uses a very clever technique at the start of the film by showing baby videos and videos of our protagonist at a very young age. And why is this important? Why is this a clever technique? Because it really humanizes the character and makes you feel like you know them. Um, it feels very natural with the style of footage. And it also shows innocence, childhood innocence, which is really important when we come to the actual lie. I thought the film had some very powerful acting. The pace I would describe as steady, maybe a tad slow. Um, and it feels more like a series. I don't know why. It feels like this could have been elongated out into a whole series. Oh, but no. it was almost I would have I would have enjoyed that. But I found this really agonizing at times as they were covering up this line. Things got more and more out of hand. I found it really hard to watch. Like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they've made that decision. Um, I thought the payoff of the lie and the cover up was superb. Um, and it really stuck with me like this film impacted me to the point where I was thinking about it afterwards and all the implications of what it means to be fundamentally we've got two parents and they're covering up uh, an incident uh, an event caused by their daughter and there was to me there was so much what would i do if i was a parent and this situation happened this lie would i would i run with it and for me i was compelled by the performances i thought um Joey King as Kayla, I thought she was great. Peter Sarsgaard, he's great. Um, Morel Anos, as you said. Um, I just found the film really engaging. I thought the payoff was superb. I really, really enjoyed it, Craig. Okay, well, th- I will start with the, what you said at the beginning there about the clever clips. Um, they were clever. Mm. Technically, they were very clever, but actually they didn't reveal all that much. I don't think they, they showed that childhood innocence that you were referring to. I mean, it's anybody's childhood is going to be what they showed there. It was a girl, you know, maybe on her birthday um, being happy. You know, there's you know, it shows that at the one point or another, this person was or is a child. Mm. We all start like that. OK, that that really hasn't highlighted what happens why her motives would have changed to to become the person that she did at that point. If there was an element within that beginning title sequence that showed showed her something happening to her that that revealed why her she carried out something that happens within this film, um, yeah. the whole lie, then I would have been a bit more impressed. Yeah. Um, it it did not show the true characteristics of these people. It didn't. It didn't give them the. It didn't show their motives. There was nothing behind their reasoning behind it, other than so. Other than 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 one small thing, and it's what would you do if so? If your child did something bad, how far would you go? But yeah. I don't feel like the emotional connection with the child and how far they were going for her. That relationship wasn't there. I didn't see it. I didn't see it unfold. I didn't see it. And I, I didn't see the psychology behind it. I didn't see, you know, each per, each move that they made, why they were making it. It just felt like they were making it very spur of the moment without thinking at all. And, mm. and almost it was unbelievable. 
because of some of the way how far they were actually going. It wasn't like you had the camera hanging on them for that split second, reading their mind as to what they're going to do, wishing that they would not go and do that. It just happened. It, every, every, and that's at every step of the way. And the stupidity behind some of the things that were going on was ridiculous. The twist at the end of the film, that payoff that you said that was there, was yeah. I saw coming a mile off. I questioned myself a couple of times as if it was going to come. But when oh, it you, did, really? yeah, 100%, it, it came. And and I didn't know in what form it would come, but I knew it was going to come. Um, and that's exactly where it falls short. It's predictable. It's unconvincing. And the story itself, just almost whatever they had that they was going for them within that film dissipated in that moment with a puff of smoke. It just vanished like a magic trick. It, 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 the, the illusion... Mm. was gone and anything that they did build up in terms of emotional connection with these characters just disappeared um so i really wasn't i I, it's fair to say i wasn't impressed with this film at all um which i can tell you are disappointed for um and perhaps i won the argument again maybe well i'm sat here looking a bit sorry for myself i mean we I mean, blimey, the next film we're going to review. I mean, if we disagree about that, then there is going to be hell to pay. Um, but di- I mean, what did you not did you not like the cinematography? I thought the cinematography was superb. I mean, those are the redeeming features. I don't think it was superb. I think it was nice. I think it was it it, it was pretty standard cinematic yeah. kind of stuff. It's you know, I think the problem that we have here is 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 um, is Amazon number one. This film is on Amazon Prime. It's an Amazon Studio film problem that we've got here is that they've attached this to Blumhouse. Now Blumhouse Blumhouse is a a massive um, production house. Um, You know, it's it's a film, Blumhouse is, how do I pull it? Okay, they produce films such as The Invisible Man, Get Out, Us, Black Klansman, Whiplash, Upgrade, remember Upgrade, amazing film, Paranormal Activity, the Halloween films. The list is pretty much ends there, right? This is not up there with a Blumhouse production. Amazon have simply attached a Blumhouse to it as a brand name to try and sell a film. This is not one of those films. It is not a horrible psychological thriller because it lacks the psychological thriller that that this is supposed to have. The lie itself vanishes in a puff of smoke in an instant and ruins the entire making of what happens in this film. The, the character development is not explored enough. It, there is so much that doesn't happen in this film that happens in all of the films that I just outlined. The Invisible Man, Get Out, Us, Black Klansman, Whiplash, Upgrade. They all explore the psychological things that happen in these people's minds. None of that happened in this film. Amazon Prime have simply bundled four different movies together in this Blumhouse Presents, Welcome to Blumhouse, mm. as a way of selling movies. And that it's as simple as that. Um, it's not great, <laughs> to put it lightly. Oh, I disagree. Um, I was going to try and use some distraction techniques and talk about who did the cinematography, but I mean, I, it's interesting. Uh, I, 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 I totally disagree. I was captivated. I thought there was character development. Um, I thought the lie, the payoff, I didn't see it coming. I thought it was a great twist. 
And when you, I do somewhat agree that there could have been more character development. That's why I said it felt like it could have been a series. They could have definitely stretched this out. Um, the police officer, the character, the, the female, um, I thought she was, her character was very, very interesting. She was, um, she was good to begin with. And then all of a sudden her partner comes in and is this incredibly brash and irrelevant character. And she sits there idly silent at the things that this man is saying. I feel like there was a lot of, there could have been a lot more dialogue in terms of, or com social commentary as to the father um, of who the lie is about. So this is a different to Peter Skarsgård's yeah. character. I feel like there was some social commentary with his um, Pakistani descent, descent there, and there could have been more explored there. There was a lot of racial tension there, I think, based yeah. on that fact. And it was very thinly explored um yeah. I, I and and actually in in it came off quite poorly and and actually a bit disgraceful i think the way that they tried to explore that and very did it very wrongly and very badly it just came off yeah. wrong um yeah i mean the the female detective was played by patty kim and the male detective was played by nicholas lee nicholas lee's character did come out with a couple of outrageous comments some racial comments that i i think you're right were a little bit poorly executed it um, rolled off the sleeve it just came out and nothing was said further about it. It it, it 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 was almost like what was the point of even mentioning it unless you yeah. really have something to say about it i mean i will just say it does get 44 percent from the critics 42 percent from the audience so the rotten tomato scores would suggest they're in craig's camp um, I think we've explored this enough um, and I, I dare say maybe you have won the argument again, but we will, we will, we will, we will round it off with Craig has literally got his hands in the air. Damn ye Craig. I'm, I tell you what, I don't, I don't know what you think of the next film, but if you like this next film, there is going to be hell to pay. Uh, but Craig, before we get on to that film, um, the lie, is it worth it? Um, I, don't think this is worth seeing, actually. I think Blumhouse have much better films attached to its name. If they are available on any of the streaming services, watch them. The Invisible Man, Get Out, Us, Black Clansman, Whiplash, uh, Upgrade, fantastic films, Paranormal Activity, maybe the first one, the rest of them maybe not so much. <laughs> some of the new Halloween films as well. You know, there are some really good, horrible Halloween thrillers to watch, and some of these yeah. are there. And I just mentioned them again for the, like the fourth time. Go and watch those instead. David, the lie, is it worth it? Yes, I, I really do think it's worth it. I think you're taking on a an, an emotional roller coaster. You get invested in these characters. I think the payoff at the end is brilliant. Um, like I said, I thought the cinematography was quite striking. Uh, visually, it was nice to look at. Um, I was really surprised by this film. Like I said, I looked at the Rotten Tomato scores afterwards and was shocked they were so low. The lie, um, I definitely think it's 100% worth it. Bit, of a, bit slow on the uptake there, sorry. <laughs> I, I, mate, I am so interested to hear your thoughts on the next film. It could be fireworks. So our next film is, in fact, Hubie Halloween. It's October the 31st in Salem, Massachusetts, and a town's eccentric, devoted community volunteer and the good-natured object of his fellow citizens' ridicule and meanest pranks finds himself in the midst of a real investigation. 
for a real murder. Let's take a little listen to a clip. Hello, Webster Elementary School. I am not a ghost, but I play one on TV. Just playing. My name is Hubie Dubois, and I am here to tell you that Halloween is fun, but we must stay out of the danger zone. Thank you, sir. I would like a word with you all. And that word is... G-ghost? Ghost. Scary, but also the key to Halloween safety. The G. What could the G stand for? Go home? No. Give. Give to the less fortunate. Does anyone know what less fortunate is? Yes, sir. It means someone who needs help. Very good. What's your name? Cookie. Well, you're a smart cookie. When I was young, I used to build a tower with all my candy. And all the candy that was part of the tower before it collapsed, I would keep for myself. The leftover candy, I would donate to the homeless shelter. Is that where you live? Well, sure. Ah! Burn him! Ah! Oh. I, I'm sorry, son. I just... Please, please don't fight. Well, uh, am I going to start with this film, Craig? Go on, go for it. I thought this was absolutely woeful. (laughs) Unwatchable (laughs) nonsense. Um, I really did think that it it was so poor, it was almost comedic. Um, I laughed a few times, but I wasn't laughing with the film. I was laughing at it. Adam Sandler has this awful accent. Um, I think lisp, isn't it? It's like some sort of lisp, but he speech, also slurs yeah, his speech words. Speech impediment. Impediment? It's like what I've got today, a speech impediment. <laughs> impediment, yeah. And it makes it all... I mean, I, I watch this at home. Obviously, it's on Netflix. Um, I really considered putting the subtitles on. Um, it was it was that bad. Um, Adam Sandler has this ridiculous flask that seems to be something out of, like, Inspector Gadget. I quite liked it. I quite like this this uh, oh, this this, no. this flask that could do. You like the film or the flask? The flask. The film I did not. Good. Um, in my notes, I've put terrible slash no script because there was very little meaningful dialogue. Like there was also no plot, like literally none. Um, and it had the same jokes again and again and again. I mean, I had a message on social media. Um, from uh, John, and I will just read that out very, very quickly. Um, He was also not a fan of this film. Um, He literally put, um, watched Hubie Halloween, or say watch, switched it off after 10 minutes, up there with the biggest load of drivel I've ever seen. (laughs) Shame, as I love a lot of his other stuff, like Happy Gilmore and Big Daddy. Um, I'll be honest, if if I didn't have to watch it for this podcast, I would have turned it off. Now, Craig, this is very, very important. Yep. Is this film as terrible as I'm making it? No, out? no, David. This film is worse. It is absolutely oh, appalling. It is a terrible, terrible film. Um, the most versatile piece 
of acting in this film comes from a prop. It is that flask. That that <laughs> flask is the most versatile thing in this film. It's upsetting because there is an, actually an outstanding cast in this film. I'm not even going to mention Adam Sandler because he is not outstanding. But we have Julie Bowen. We have Ray Liotta, uh, Steve Buscemi, Rob Schneider. You've got Ben Stiller in there as well. A lot of like side members here. June Squibb is actually, you yeah. know, she's pretty funny. Um, Tim Meadows. There's so many really, really, really good cast members in here but Mm. what is this film about really at the end of the day a a man who seems to have some kind of disability perhaps um has a speech impediment um and for about 90 percent of the movie you cannot understand a single word of what he's saying maybe for the start I, i did understand but as the film went on I felt like I understood him less and less and less and unless you can understand the main protagonist's speech of what he's saying you just don't stand a chance with this film you know he is kind he is eccentric in a way he is a devoted volunteer in terms of what's going on on halloween he 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 put, casts himself as the um I don't know, uh, Halloween monitor of some sort. He's there to, you know, make sure everyone has a good night. And you know what? That's really sweet and lovely. Everybody else around him is absolutely awful human beings. And it's, Mm. it's, it's on the scale of ridiculousness. Adam Sanders on the other scale of ridiculous. I feel like it was uh, really in poor taste in some of it. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and I just didn't understand some of the motive of some of the characters and, you know, it's supposed to be funny, but I don't, I didn't understand, um, the love interest between, um, uh, Hubie and, um, Violet. Like apparently they yeah, loved each other all their lives in some really random way. I mean, she was the, the high school beauty, if you know what I mean, or beauty queen or whatever they call it, homecoming queen, I don't know. Um, mm. She was the number one and for some reason um, she fell in love with this man who I'm not even sure is capable of loving somebody in the way that perhaps she could. I don't really understand it at all. Like It feels like he it, it was a, a, a humongous I don't know turd it is a turd of a film it's one of the worst films Mm. i may have seen this year it is very very poor and do you know what it's such a shame because on the back of uncut gems you know adam sandler proved in uncut gems that he can act and there was genuine oscar buzz and there was talk of awards um this is this is so terrible it 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 really is just a disastrous film everything about it the way it's written the the character development the the humor we have the same jokes that aren't funny and they come again and again and again and it's like are you really doing that joke again and again and it's just it's just poor and again and again and and again it is it is over and over and over and over and over and over and over again it is one of the worst movies as i've already said that i have seen this year um do we even need to talk yeah. about it any further, really? I mean, we've... I don't I think mean, so. Um, no. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, let's discuss the plot, but there isn't one. It's just a man who seems to be monitoring Halloween. Somebody, people start to go missing. It's a mess. It's a the, total the one, mess, as Lord Sugar would say. A total mess. The one character that I liked was his mother. I, I liked her T-shirts. I mean, they're the only one bits that I laughed at, maybe. Yeah, her, the, the mother character was interesting, but she was so poorly written as well. She was such a confused character. Yeah, she really, really was. Look, 
Was she good? Was she bad? I mean, I'm not sure to be honest with you. Adam Sandler plays a big it, role in this film by um by by writing part of it. Um, it's directed yeah. by Stephen Brill. Um, Stephen, if you're listening, please don't make any more films like this. <laughs> and I will say, you know, Ray Liotta, surely capable of better. Steve Buscemi turning up in this film as a as a werewolf. The, the paychecks were obviously large. The paychecks must have been big. And look, people have got to put food on the table or much food on many tables if you're a Hollywood star. Look, Hubie Halloween, Hubie Halloween is absolutely terrible. Craig, I'm going to ask you the question. Hubie Halloween, is it worth it? No, do not watch. Avoid at all costs. Bury it in the submenus of terrible movies on Netflix. David, Hubie Halloween, is it worth it? Look, I don't like giving bad reviews, but this deserves a bad review. This is a terrible film on on the the acting is terrible, the plot is terrible, the script is terrible, the ending is shambolic, the way it's put together. Um even during Halloween, this this is almost unwatchable. Um don't go near Hubie Halloween. It's a terrible movie. And that brings us to the end of week 47. Thank you very much for listening uh, to week 47, as I said, of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Yes, we appreciate all the support from our listeners and Patreon supporters. You can email the show at mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. Um, you can also follow us on social media if you're still on it. <laughs> At Film Is Worth It on Twitter. Um, Search for Is It Worth It podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you're listening online through the website, you can subscribe to the podcast using Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and all good podcasting apps. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We've got a number of five-star reviews, and they are fantastic. They give me, both me and Craig, such pleasure and joy when we see them. So if you like the show, jump on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, write some nice words. We will be eternally, eternally grateful. Yeah, we will sincerely be eternally grateful. <laughs> eternally gra- you know what? It's got late. My tongue is tied. It's twisted. It's very late yeah. here. Um it's almost three minutes away from being another day. It's twenty three fifty seven. Yeah. Well, guess what? Uh, Eleven fifty seven. Guess what? What? You've been David Long. You've been Craig Fields. And good night. Good boo. <laughs> oh, what a dilemma I've got about social media. Still recording.